Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Friday, December the 15th, 2017, and we are reading from the big book in Bill's story, page four, the first paragraph, abruptly in October 1929, through two paragraphs ending with, this time we stayed broke, and commenting on both. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Judy S., 12 Traditions, Nancy H., and readers of the text, Amy G., Maura Z., and Barbara E. The reference numbers for Thursday, December the 14th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 10798, and the 10 a.m. meeting is 10799. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Judy S. to read the 12 steps. This is Judy S. from upstate New York. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Judy S. And Nancy H. will read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning. This is Nancy H., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader from Massachusetts. Twelve traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overreaders Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overreaders Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for the privilege of reading. Pass. Thank you, Nancy H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Bill's story, page four, first paragraph. Abruptly in October 1929, through two paragraphs ending with this time, we stayed broke and commenting on both. Amy G., could you do the reading for us, please? Sure, thanks so much. My name is Amy G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Abruptly, in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of tape which bore the inscription XYZ minus 32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished, and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to, to death from towers of high finance. This disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? 
tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left, and I thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. The drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. Well, just to review, you know, we're in Bill's story, and we finished up the, ch- the chapter of the doctor's opinion where we learned about the twofold nature of our disease, the physical allergy and the greater aspect, the mental obsession. And we talk about a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery and why we do the step, we, step work we do, especially the inventory work of steps four through nine. I mean, why? Because for me, it is my, in my humble opinion, my old beliefs, my behaviors, my actions, my emotions, that trigger that restlessness, discontentedness, the obsession, the insanity that a drink or, for me, a bite of my alcoholic foods are going to fix it, you know? And we read here in what's going on with Bill, and, and it's a classic story. It's a classic example of what we're talking about here, the three Ds, the denial, the delusion, and defiance. I mean, this is a terrible day. This is the, when the stock market crashed, and, and people are jumping out of windows to the death, the pain, the suffering. And yet, where is Bill? Bill says, so what? You know, I'm in the bar. And he goes to the bar. And, you know, as the alcoholic haze settles in, you know, the denial and the delusion and the defiance and the self-centeredness and the ego and the pride kick in. You know, he doesn't call his wife. You know, he goes to the bar and pounds on the bar for a drink and says, no, not me. Instead of feeling emotion, pity, or, you know, whatever, with people jumping out, friends losing millions, the fact that he was then broken, how would he support his family? Instead, it's the delusion. You know, it's the delusion. Oh, I'm going to get it back together because my belief about winning, about power and prestige. I mean, talk about a spiritual malady here. And I know I'm taking his inventory here, but basically I'm taking my own inventory because this is the way that I lived. I mean, how many times as I took those first few bites did I say, oh, I'll diet on Monday? It'll be okay. I'll lose 50 pounds at that New Year's resolution. Remember, we have a disease that tells us we don't have a disease. And because of the subtle insanity of this mental obsession, a mental obsession, my mind is warped when it comes to thinking about food and, what, and putting it into my mouth. You know, it's all about me, myself, and I. This selfishness, the self-centeredness, the big book says we have to get rid of it or it kills us. I mean, how do we do that? I have to have a personality change. And the only way I know how to do that is to work through these steps because otherwise I'm going to believe that the best idea I had all day is to put my alcoholic foods in my mouth, you know? And clearly, clearly there is so much more to this disease than meets the mouth, if you know what I mean. And then the obsession. Think about, I mean, I'm dead in the progression. We're talking about the progression of this disease here. You know, he goes to Canada and then he stays broke this time. Because the progression of the disease is such that our lives become unmanageable, as does mine, as did mine. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Amy G. The floor is now open for sharing on what we just read. Please say your name just once as it helps me hear everyone. Who would like to call me? Harlan G. Barbara E. Janice P.M. Melissa C. And Larry. Okay, let's go with this lineup. I'll tell you who I have, and then we'll go from there. I have Harlan G., Barbara E., Janice P.M., 
Melissa C., Larry K., and Matt M. Harlan G., could you start us off, please? I would love to. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for team, to Team Friday and everybody for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. And as I look at this, and I think about what Bill's going through, this is Black Tuesday in 1929. This is the kickoff date, really, of the Great Depression. And when he looks at these people, and they're panicking, and they're jumping off the building, and it says here, the papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. Now, why is high finance capitalized? The reason that high finance is capitalized is because to the men on Wall Street, the money, the board, the stocks were their higher power. This was their God. This was how they were going to build their dreams. And that disgusted me that they're jumping. Now, let's make mental note of that because on page six, uh, maybe the end of maybe about a week from now, maybe less than that, we're going to find that Bill is going to consider suicide himself, but he's looking at these people killing themselves and he's laughing at them. He says, I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Notice it didn't say he went to the bar. He went back to the bar because he had already been there. And what did he know without knowing it intellectually, without knowing it cerebrally? That at the bar, he could find relief from anything that was going on around him and that through a couple of shots of whiskey, he could change his reality. Doritos, Kit Kat bars, Nestle's Crunch bars will make just about any horror that I'm looking at okay for about nine seconds. It'll look fantastic. And it says here, tomorrow was another day as I drank the old fierce determination to win came back. So he's getting that liquid courage from the liquor. Now the next morning he telephones a friend, that's Dick Johnson. And Dick Johnson was a very big executive at Green Shields and Company in Montreal. And Dick Johnson sends for Bill following spring. Napoleon returning from Elba. Elba was where Napoleon went to and then reconquered his territory. St. Helena was where he met his demise, where he met the end of him. And the drinking caught up with me again, and they had to let him go. So we see the progression of Bill's drinking. No more was liquor making everything okay. It was making everything worse. And that's exactly what the food did for me. It made everything worse. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. Barbara E., it's your turn. And Janice PM, you're up next. Thank you so much, Lynette, for your service. Harlan, for your history lesson. I always enjoy that. What jumped out at me was Bill's callousness not caring that his compatriots, his colleagues, men and women who worked in his field were jumping out of windows. And as Harlan said, of course, sooner than later, he too would be 
considering suicide. It was like Scarlett O'Hara in the the novel uh, written in 1936 when she said, I'll think about it tomorrow. And Rhett Butler saying to her, frankly, my darling, I don't give a damn. Well, that's what I thought myself. Frankly, my darling, I don't give a damn. Tomorrow was another day. He went back to the bar to drink again, and then he had the fierce determination to win, to come back. But drinking caught up with with him. For me, tomorrow was always the day I would begin again. I was determined, and then I would, on my way to work, pass the Burger King, King, and my car would magically be drawn in, and I'd get one of those egg McMuffin sandwiches or whatever you called it that had the egg and the sausage. It was salty. It was greasy. And if by some miracle I passed it by, I'd go into the teacher's room and ravage it, looking for anything I could find to eat. I'd check it out. Um, There were periods of sobriety for me. I was able to take control when a doctor scared me enough with surgery, with diabetes. But inevitably, I picked up the food again. My forgetter made me forget the consequences, how I felt, what I did not choose to do. Friends warned me. They even warned my mother as I was a child. Something is wrong with Barbara. I went from eating Godiva chocolates to Snickers bars to anything I could get my hands on. I was off to the races. I would lose and gain and lose and gain. And the days between my my binges got closer and closer again. And then I became a lone wolf, avoiding people and events in, in order to eat the food I liked like Bill's alcohol, was hidden all over the house. My food was hidden all over the house, in my closet, under my bed, in my car. I would eat in the middle of the night. Once I started, I couldn't stop. And once I stopped, I couldn't refrain from starting again. Either it was forgetting or ignoring the warnings of doctors and friends. I was doomed, or so I thought. But then my higher power, oh, thank you, my higher power took over and a friend drove me to my first OA meeting and seriously saved my life. Thank you, OA, and thank you, everyone. Thank you, Barbara E. Janice PM, it's your turn, followed by Melissa C. Well, thank you, uh, Lynn S. Uh, my name is Janice PM, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Yes, of course, Bill's story. Um, so we see that Bill, like myself, was always focused, my sole focus of life was on the material world. And certainly, high finance was, you know, I was brought up that that was the answer to to all my problems. Of course, you know, because I had to learn to be self-sufficient, self-sufficiency, a God unto myself. So, um, and I had to be accountable to no one, and that's the way I was brought up. So here we see him, oh, it's a great example for me, 
um, is a compulsive overs constantly self-justifying, constantly, so constantly um, uh, self-rationalizations. Now, of course, these are roadblocks in my life to the spiritual world, but, of course, he didn't know that. You know, the only solution to my problems as I was a failure in something, whether I didn't do well on an exam, what would I go to? What would I run to? I would run to my food, to that specific food that made me comfortable, rationalizing, continuously rationalizing. And here he had so much pride. I always say pride because that was me. Oh, this happened to them, you know, this is terrible. But you know what? Not to me. I'm going to go to the bar. And yes, as, as was said so beautifully, is he wobbled from the bar, which means, you know, he was drinking. So he was quite stimulated. He was stimulated, but the bottom line is his thinking, his thinking. He, it was like being in, um, in, at an operation. He was, he was like having a sedative because that doesn't make me think properly when I'm, when I'm blocked. So he was stimulated, and then his thinking was like a sedative to me because um, that's how I used to think. Oh, they're going quickly. Remember, quick death, but not me. I'm going to die. He's not saying this, but he's going to die, but he's going to be slow. Just like he read on that tombstone, somebody, some people, some men died quickly by the gun, but more slowly by the pot. And that this is what what I see here. And that was me, never trying, never admitting a mistake. You know, I'm better than other people because my thinking had to change, and my thinking can only change when that food, when that block, when that anesthetize. A person, when I'm blocked from it, I cannot have that that substance because it blocks me. It makes me sedative. Fine, and now I am finished. Thank you, <laughs> Pat. <laughs> Thank you, Janice PM. Melissa C., it's your turn, followed by Larry K. Hi. Good morning, Len. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and you know, when we read this story and the line, like, all hell broke loose, um, I, I could, that was like the easiest thing for me to relate to because um, I had my own, you know, all hell breaking loose in my life. Um, you know, we suffered a terrible loss, my husband and myself and, um, and our daughter. And, um, and, you know, and yet, that did not cause me to be a compulsive overeater. And, and I'm so grateful that um, when Bill tells his story, he is not attributing his alcoholism to the fact that um, Wall Street crashed. You know, just like I could not attribute my compulsive overeating to um, the death of a child. Like that, I, I was already well-practiced. Um, I already had this disease, uh, strong. And so just like Bill, when all hell broke loose in my life, um, I had to eat. That was, that was immediate. Um, you know, I remember crying, you know, like (laughs) tears, crazy tears of grief and, and choking the food down my throat because I had nothing else to do. And, 
you know, and along with that, um, he didn't jump, and neither did I. And so in some ways, you know, looking back, um, thank you, God, I had this disease of a compulsive overeating because I, although it was ineffective, I had something as horrible as it was that saved my life. I, You know, I, I tried to numb myself out, shove the food down my throat, um, and I'm still living, you know, I lived to, 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 to get, not get over this, but to survive. And so, you know, and yet when, um, Bill gets this other opportunity, um, and he goes to Canada and things are looking up, he doesn't straighten out there, you know, and so, and same with me, when things in our life, um, turn joyful again, you know, when we had another child and everything on paper looked great, I was still destroying it with food, you know, and so um, it's me, I'm the problem. Outside circumstances, whether they're tragic or wonderful, um, I can make them all awful if I'm only, you know, focused on the food and not on on, on living and um, thank you with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Mary Kay, it's your turn, followed by Matt M. Good morning. Good morning, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, the the old fierce determination, uh, it says, uh, came back here. Uh, the, the old fierce determination to win came back. It sounds dramatic, you know, written some 90 years ago. You know, how can this sentiment be connected to December uh, 15th, 2017? Um, Here's how for me, talking to someone who tells me that, you know, I'm hearing and reading things I've never heard before. And it's weird. I feel feel like I've had a spiritual awakening. The food's down 100% for the first time. And it's amazing. And and I say, yeah, yeah, but we, we, we just only recently cracked open the big book, see, we're, we're, we're quickly, yes, we're quickly building a foundation of understanding, but the thing is you just put the food down and we're only in Bill's story. You know, trust me when I tell you, I, I, no one that I've met has had a complete spiritual awakening sufficient to arrest this disease while still in step one. But you might be the first. You know, did I miss the part where I learned that Again, the old fierce determination to win came back. We can feel that coming into program, putting the food down. See, perhaps the lesson in that is that human beings can quickly think they have the chess pieces in place. You know, after all, the, the intent of the spiritual practical program of action wasn't to solidify the foundation of our ego. Rather, the intention was to obliterate the ego. That was the only way your higher power could shine through, by obliteration of your ego. Did I miss that part that says, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid? It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. <laughs> I, did I delude myself into thinking that this was about the elevation of my ego, feeling better by putting the food down? No, the smashing of the ego. You know, something, if I'm getting advice from another compulsive eater and it isn't coming from the text, from the program of action, then you're listening to a well-intentioned junkie. You can't give away something you don't have, even if you have all the good intentions. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry Kay. 
Matt M., it's your turn. This is Matt M., a compulsive over eater. Yeah, Harlan pretty much said it all with this history lesson, but uh, Black Tuesday was a very bad day, sad day for a lot of people. A lot of people were killing themselves because they had no other way to live. They, they couldn't see anything beyond what was going on in their life. Um, the papers reported men jumping from the towers of high finance. Money, money was there, God. Uh, lost a, a, a couple senses about that. It was I was finished, and so were many friends. It's the loss of money meant the loss of life for a lot of these people. Uh, and then to couple his senses down more, when it talks about tomorrow was another day, as I drank the old fierce determination of wind came back to delusional thinking, he's already so far gone with the drink that he can't think of anything else but to drink to try to solve this problem. But it really doesn't solve a problem. He falls back into the pattern of like drink, gets, uh, can go through another series of sprees, and he's already far gone to the races before he can even say when, you know, and uh, the whole thing with Napoleon, that's the second time reference to him of, uh, being uh, someone dying, and, and uh, you know, it's really interesting how, um, you know, that, that he mentions that, you know, because a couple of pages later, he's so indignant and so, um, you know, about people killing themselves. He's, like, looking down his nose at them, and then the next page over, he's, like, talking about killing himself. So, you know, this is a man that's very mixed up, who's very, he doesn't know what, where to go, what ends up, but he knows he has one thing now, he has three drinking. Anyway, thank you for anybody who shared that up house. Thank you, Madam. For those of us just coming on the line, we're in Bill's story on page four, the first paragraph, abruptly in October 1929, through two paragraphs ending with This Time We Stayed Broke, and we'll be commenting on both. Who else would like to share this morning? Terry C. Sarah G. Kim, Kim G. from South Jersey. Leslie W. Okay. Can we just I missed I missed a lot of the uh, names. I'm sorry about that. There was somebody C in the beginning. Terry C. Terry T E R R Y. Okay, I have a Terry C. I think I heard a Barbara. Barbara W. Kim G. Leah M. And there were two other people I missed. Lauren M. Sarah G. Sarah G. Okay, I'm hearing Paula D, and it's Sarah G. And I got Lauren N. I got you. Thank you. Thank you. I have Mary C, Sarah G, Kim G, Barbara W, Leah M, Lauren N. And was that you at the end there, Nessa? Yes. Okay, great. There's our lineup. Terry C., could you start for us, please? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, this is Terry C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New Jersey. And um, every time I read this this paragraph, um, especially the six words, I went back to the bar, um, I I'm painfully have to think of my Black Sunday. Uh, I can't even tell you what the situation was, but I still remember my husband standing there with my four-month-old son in his arms and looking at me because there was some kind of some kind of ranting and raging I'm sure that I just did over nothing and he looked at me and my son looked at me my four-month-old and they were both looking at me like a deer in headlights because I had behaved in a manner which was so unacceptable 
And what I did was I went back to eat my breakfast while they stood there stunned looking at me. I went back to the bar. And it's very riveting for me to just remember that moment. It was definitely a bottom for me, thinking that I knew at that minute, or at least I had a sense, I wasn't clear enough, that I had a body that really didn't want to be eating, but I had a mind that wouldn't let me stop. It just wouldn't let me stop. It was the only reaction I knew to anything that was going on in my life. And I'm just so grateful today that I don't have to behave that way. I'm grateful that that's not my response, that the solution is never the food. The solution is always my higher power and that, you know, I don't have to jump. And, you know, when I think about my husband and my son being the people who were ready to jump, they were definitely, and they had every reason to jump. And I'm just so grateful today that um, with the grace of my higher power, I don't have to go back to the bar. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Terry C. Sarah G., it's your turn, followed by Kim G. This is Sarah G., compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic from Tennessee. Uh, Today, um, I just wanted to say that uh, so many times when I think about Bill's story, in the first, I think, eight pages are the progression of the disease, And he goes way down. And I also feel like I went um, pretty far down as well. But early on in my disease, I got married to an alcoholic. And that wasn't going very well. And I contemplated and tried to commit suicide. And this this part of the story always reminds me of that. It's a a chilling factor. Uh, Luckily, um, you know, what I took I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't really that lethal, um, but it was enough to get me to the hospital and they pumped my stomach out. And I don't talk about this very often, but I think it's important to, under, to you know, talk about it when uh, it, it shows the progression of my disease, and that was early on. Uh, and then I just took to eating uh, compulsively and, and purging. Um, and then looking at what, you know, what today is like, and, uh, it's far better. Um, I can't, the thing is that I can't believe that I was saved for some reason. I do know why I was saved today, but at the time I didn't know why I didn't die. Uh, I wanted to die. The marriage was going to pot and so to speak, and uh the uh and and I was eating compulsively binging and purging every day all the time getting getting worse um so i I really love this this part of the story, not because it's a great story at this point, but because it shows me my the progression of my disease, and I went deeper and darker I got into uh laxatives. Uh, after throwing up, and um, I, I just wonder, uh, I did wonder for a long time um, what it would been, have been like. I'm sure I would have been dead today uh, had I continued in the progression, but I had a friend who uh, jerked me out of the, the, the compulsion for a period of time, uh, got me to an OA meeting, and um, I didn't get it that time, but at least I had that piece of information 
when I was ready, I knew where to come back. And then um, came back and uh, had been, um, after the first year, had been abstinent ever since. And I'm really, really uh, grateful for that. So I'm going to say that I am recovered today, contingent upon my spiritual condition. That is true for me day in and day out. Um, and it's one day at a time for me. Thanks. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah G. Kim G., it's your turn, followed by Barbara W. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Well, I'm going to zone in on that uh, high tower finance. You know, that this disgusted me. I would not jump. You know, this always reminds me of Thanksgiving with my family where I would go there and my cousins would be drinking their butts off and passing out and I'd be shaking my head. I cannot believe they're doing this in a family gathering. Yet I'm going in the back eating as eating my head off because I'm as uncomfortable with my family as they are. It's just that the way that they're um, doing their uncomfortability, I'm saying, is worse than the way I'm doing my uncomfortability. You know, and I have to realize I have to take my eating as seriously as an alcoholic takes their drinking. And I need to bust delusions that I'm not, my eating is just isn't as bad. You know, I don't spend the money on, on food that these guys do on drugs or alcohol or gambling. But let's think about it. What does our disease do to us? What about all the medications, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the knee replacements, the hip replacements, all the dental work from bulimia? I don't know about you, but I had Oprah's closet, sizes 2 to 24, that I had to constantly replace as I was going up and down the scale. You know, and I remember, too, seeing a research project where they talked about the effect of addiction on children, and they compared workaholism and, and alcoholism. And the fact was the, the, um, the uh, effect on the children was exactly the same. The kid didn't give a crap why their dad wasn't there, whether he was in the bar or at the office. He just knew his parent wasn't available. Isn't that true with us? We say, well, we're only hurting ourselves. We're alone eating in our room. But let's think about what this does to our families. You know, maybe I can't go to the football game to watch my kid because I don't want to go in the bleacher because I'm embarrassed of my weight. I'm not going to the movies. I'm not going in the rooms that have, that have um, the uh, handlebars on the side of the seats because I'm afraid I can't fit in it. I, I can't go on vacation where you have to wear a bathing suit or maybe I get to the point where I can't even fit on a plane without an extender. So I'm not going on a plane. I'm canceling events because I'm too embarrassed to see my family because of how much weight I've gained since I, since I last saw them. You know, my family has to pick up the slack because I can't be present in my own life, let alone other people's lives. So maybe I'm just not, I'm just going back to the bar as opposed to jumping off the, the tower, but yet I'm affecting people as much as I am any other addiction. And the last thing I just want to say is that last line, tomorrow was another day as I drank the old fierce determination to win came back again. I have to tell you, January's coming up. We're going to get a lot of people coming into OA. And I, it's a very frustrating month for me because everybody's on their diet. Everybody thinks they can do it by self-will. Meeting makers make it. You know what I love? I love February. I love February when all that self-determination is falling apart and people finally realize that they can't do this on their own. Don't wait till February. You can start today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Harvard W., it's your turn, followed by Leah M.
Barbara W. Press star one, or did I mishear that name? Okay, Leah, can you come in now? Are you available? Here I am. Thank Great, you very thank much. You. Thank you. But drinking caught up with me again. You know, this is the uh, cycle that, the vicious cycle that I know so well. You know, the reality of, of the disease is you can run, but you can't hide because wherever you go, there you are. So, you know, all these different, uh, you know, goals that he's chasing, money, a new job, you know, prestige, fame, etc. external conditions were never the remedy for an internal condition called compulsive overeating for someone like me. I mean, my big book teaches me over and over again that in order to recover is going to require a transformation of attitude, of ideas, of emotions, a rearrangement, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. And that is a message I had to get, and I got that message first from the disease beating the crap out of me. You know, Bill is obviously uh, a very driven, intelligent, charismatic, persuasive, uh, attractive human being. Uh, you know, the book teaches me that we often possess abilities and skills and aptitudes and have promising careers, etc., but we also use these very gifts uh, to build up a bright outlook, and then we pull the whole structure down upon ourselves. The big book also tells me that this is a self-imposed crisis, that I was the architect of my own misery. I was the creator of my own pain. That's a hard pill to swallow. No one was doing this to me. My life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. At a very, very young age, this disease was tightening the screws on me just as it was you know, tightening on Bill, and I was continuing to bow to the demands of the illness. The reality is I binged to change the way I felt and to make the world less threatening. That's called an addiction. And I had to understand, and again, it began by the disease beating the, the blood, me to a bloody pulp, that this disease is a spiritual malady, that no matter how many things I tried to achieve and no matter how many times I tried to put down my substances, the solution was not merely to stop compulsive overeating. The solution was to have a relationship with a spirit which was going to remove the problem from me. That was a message of depth and weight that had to be carried to me through someone in whom the problem had been solved. I didn't have a rough time compulsive overeating. I did that very, very well. I had a rough time living. The program of recovery put me back together the way God intended me to be. This program has given me the spiritual principles and, and steps to make the changes within myself when I'm disturbed so it's no longer necessary to look for some chemical, some substance in a cellophane bag in a bakery box to make myself comfortable within. I have a program of recovery. I'm tethered to a power greater than myself that offers me the ease and comfort when life gets a little bit overwhelming, when the feelings rear their heads, which they do. I had to realize that I was the biggest obstacle to a better world. The program of recovery put me back together with God's help. And with that, I pass. Thanks. 
Thank you, Leah M. Lauren N., it's your turn, followed by Nessa R. Hi, Visionaries. This is Lauren N. Can you hear me, Lynn S.? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you all for being on this line one day at a time every day. I look forward to hearing from you and hearing you all live. I am a sick person in my mind, and boy, can I relate to how every everything was falling apart around Bill, and he's worried about himself. He's not going to jump. He's going to be, go back to the bar. That's where I was. I wasn't going to do this stuff. I was going to be the best of the best. And I was going to be in charge of the world. I was going to be the president, the best. Boy, did I think a lot of myself, but I thought nothing of myself because I always thought all I want to do is die. And I ate and ate and ate and ate. And that's all. I did to stay out of the reality of my life. I thought so much of myself, but yet I did nothing for myself to help myself to be in a good place one day at a time. Thank you all for helping me and teaching me and and help and guiding me through how to live my life in reality and abstinence, abstinence and free from the disease of wanting to eat more and more and more for today. I was at a holiday party last night and they had goodies up the wazoo and I didn't even want to have one. How incredible that is. I'm not facing a January of dieting like I did for 55 years. Every Monday morning, every January, every New Year's Eve, every birthday wish was I'd be skinny. I have had sizes in my closet from a size 32 to a size 16. Not that I'd ever think I'd wear a 16 again. But now I'm in a size 10, and I've been in a size 10, and I may be in a size 8 next month or next year, or maybe not. And you know what? That's wonderful. I get on the scale once a month only. Time, please. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Lauren N. Nessa R., it's your turn. Thank you. Um, good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. That old fear is determination to win. Um, I have a hard time um, relating to this because I never felt that way. Not when I ate, for sure. Uh, because even as I was eating, um, and actually most of the time just eating, uh, binging and purging continuously to the point that I lost my, my gag reflex, and uh, couldn't purge anymore, so the weight piled on. Uh, I could never really relate to this, but then it hit me. 
uh, that old fear determination to win I experienced. Um, um, actually, when I was in the rooms in the first nine years, uh, when I wasn't recovering and I uh, wasn't really working the steps properly, I wasn't even truly abstinent, abstinent. But, you know, every time I got what I thought was abstinent and the weight came off a little bit um, and I started to feel less uncomfortable and the clothes started to fit a little bit better and the pain intensity uh, decreased a little bit, you know, then, you know, the, the mental obsessions moved in and say, you know what, now you've got it, you know how to do this. And uh, invariably that led me back to the food because, hey, this is what it takes and I know it. I know it and I know I can do it. So when the pain started to subside, um, I caved in again and went into the food. And to me, that, that fear determination to win, uh, it was what I experienced when the pain started to subside and I went back into the food time and time again. And this just shows me that abstinence alone is not, um, um, is not what's going to do it for me. You know, this tells me it is important to work the steps because then when, when the pain subsides, I need something to keep me on track so that I can actually, rec- actually recover. And this is what the steps do. Um, you know, we talked about a lot about the, the disease being progressive and we see how bad these things are getting for Bill. And if this is not the work that they're going to get, um, as they did for me, they just got really bad in all fronts, the food, relationships, work, everything. Um, but the recovery is also progressive. And all we need to do is work the steps in abstinence until we reach the real solution, which is a relationship with God from whom we're going to derive a better sense of his comfort than we ever, I'll speak for myself, than I ever, ever got from the food, from my most favorite food. Nothing compares to the sense of even comfort that I get from God. And my recovery continues growing and improving because the, the recovery is as progressive, if not more, as the disease. All we've got to do is work the steps as outlined here uh, in abstinence. And this is uh, the beautiful um, um, uh, result we're going to get. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. We have time for two more shares. Who would like that spot? Leslie W. Anyone else? Lisa B. Okay, that's great. Leslie W., it's your turn, followed by Lisa B. Press star Thank one. Thank you so Leslie. much. There you are. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. This is Leslie W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Tennessee. Um, you know, I really just wanted to share about what um, compulsive overeating, a death from compulsive overeating um, looks like. Uh, looks like. Um, <clears throat> you know, I first came into the rooms and I heard people say that this is a deadly disease and I, I, I thought, what a load of crap. Um, you know, doesn't everybody have problems with food? Um, but what I what I looked and realized was that, um, you know, compulsive overeating is just, just death on the layaway plan. You know, it is a slow death. Um, I sincerely believe that my grandmother and my aunt died of this disease. Um, they were both 64. And what what it looks like, um, is, you know, watching your grandma 
give her, she, I called her Meemaw, watching Meemaw give herself 10 insulin shots a day. Um, and when she got done doing, doing hair, she'd come back and stay up all night long um, eating candy and Honey Nut Cheerios. And she developed an infection on her leg. Um, and that's what she died from. And I can remember people at her funeral passing around pictures of her leg as if it was Ripley's, believe it or not. Um, and my, my aunt was a hoarder. She lived alone. She had a house full of cat poop and um, bags and boxes and wrappers. And she struck out on the floor. And um, don't ever think that this is not a deathly disease. Food is cunning, powerful, and baffling. And um, it, it presents itself in many different ways. But make no mistake, it's a killer. And I've seen and witnessed it in my own life. And praise God that I found this program so that my kids won't have to see that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leslie W. And Lisa B., you'll be the last person to share this morning. Good morning. This is Lisa B. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And I love all the shares, and I just pray that my share would be helpful to someone that's out there listening. So the word that jumps out for me is fierce, fierce, savage, vicious, violent, uh, unrestrained, egotistical, you know, even can be put in there. So um, I really identify with that, but I didn't know that I was fierce. Um, I didn't know that I had that determination. And, you know, for some reason this reading, it reminds me of and how it works when it talks about some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. And, you know, that's really how I lived. I was cocky and I was arrogant. I was self-important. And that can still be there for me on a regular basis that can still be there. So Bill is in the throes of his illness, but he doesn't know. He doesn't know that the storm, the problem is inside of him. He doesn't know he's the maker of his problem and that the bottle is only a symbol. And that's how it was for me. I found for me that the only solution was, and I love that word tethered that we heard today, was to find a way to become tethered to become one, to become aligned with my higher power. I had to stop being the higher power and I had to put the food down entirely. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to maybe put 95% of it down or 98% of it down. But the way I am made as an addict, and I'm a true addict with food, is that I've got to put the food down entirely and then work these steps not knowing, not knowing how it's going to really feel, but just go forward in faith and not even expecting to feel the difference until I get well into this 10th step and the 11th step and 12th step. And then the miracle happens. And it's not magical, it's miraculous, but the food has to be down. And then at the end of this story, we're going to read how Bill talks about how without his higher power, he's nothing. And that's such a contrast to this fierce determination and him not being a higher power. And when that starts to come back in me, that fierce determination, thankfully today, I immediately, the white flag comes out because I know a fall is coming and it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. So with that, I pass. And thank you, Lisa B. And thank you to everyone who shared and to Team Friday, Judy S., Nancy H., 
Amy G, Maura Z, Barbara E, Lauren N, and Susie K. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Friday, December the 15th, is 10803. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Maura Z please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Lynn. Maura Z recovered in Virginia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.